he just wrote to me, it was going so well. <laughs> <laughs> Hello folks and welcome to the Tune Under podcast, the original Newcastle United dedicated podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm Jack. Uh, today I'm afraid we're obliged to look back over the Man City game. And with me to do that is Dimitri and Bobby. How are you two boys doing? Good, Jack. Bit tired, but we're good. We're good. Bit sleep deprived. It was a yeah. two, it was a twelve oh, one. one o'clock. One o'clock Victoria, for us. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth yeah. staying up to three in the morning to watch to watch. Yeah, crazy. Um, but today we've also got a special guest with us. So joining us from 10,000 miles away and 10 hours ago is the Reach PLC social media editor for the Northeastern Yorkshire and the host of the Chronicles Everything is Black and White podcast, Andrew Musgrove. It's great to have you with us, Andrew. Yeah, mate, thank you for the invite. Yeah, um, not, too, not too bad. Um, yesterday could have been a bit better, the results and everything, but um, yeah, I'm... Um, I'm hanging in there and looking forward to, uh, to to the My United game as well, even though it'll probably be a similar result, unfortunately. <laughs> There's something something about this month, isn't it? It's just the amount of games against big teams has just been difficult. You've got to play everyone once, oh, well, twice, haven't you, though? So, you know, you've got to, you've got to be aspiring to beat these teams. I don't know. Yeah. They've got the riches of the world at their feet, but, you know... That, that'll be us in a few years' time, you know, with the best players in, in our door. So, you know, we can't begrudge, begrudge them, I guess. That's it. So, before we look back at the Man City game, we're going to talk to Andrew about his job covering Newcastle United. Uh, on the face of it, getting paid to write and talk about football sounds like a pretty amazing job. Uh, but it's Newcastle United, so maybe amazing isn't the best word to to use to cover Newcastle United. Although, it's hopefully going to improve soon. Yeah, it, it, it is the dream job in, in many ways, but when you're a, you're a fan as well, you've got to get that balance, you know, because it can be quite emotional when you're week in, week out watching them get thumped. But, you you know, you, you, you've got to find that balance between being a fan and, and, and a reporter, which isn't, it mm. isn't easy, you know, because yeah. you, you do let your emotions get the better of you. I remember, I think it was, it would have maybe against Manchester City, when uh, we beat them 2-1 under Rafa Benitez. And I remember jumping up and celebrating the goal and I was in the middle of the press box. Then I've some someone just went off <laughs> and went like, wait there, I shouldn't have probably done that. And it's it's those little bits of emotion where it's sometimes very hard to keep in check, you know, whether it is positive or negative. It's 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 something you have to kind of deal with on a daily basis, really, because it's it, you know, as fans become you very guilty as of being fickle and then jumping straight in and you know what we what we tweet in the moment isn't maybe what we think an hour two hours later but as reporters you haven't really got that kind of fallback in a way because you're meant to be objective and you're meant to be mm. kind of in many ways that emotion has to be taken aside and as i say as a fan it's 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 still even now when you do get Taken away on that 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 wave, it is it is sometimes a bit difficult to separate that. Mm. I was going to ask you, so first, sort of to begin with, so you're obviously from the northeast, so and you did you grew up as a Newcastle fan. I think you've just explained that there. Whereabouts yeah. in the whereabouts in the northeast were you from then, and was that um, the the place you were from very much Newcastle orientated or fifty fifty or what was it? Yeah, so born and raised in Crowcrook, where it's pretty much. 
Newcastle through and through. I mean, my, my best friends is a Sunderland fan, but it was really just him and his his dad in the local community. And there were a few other Sunderland fans, but it's mainly Newcastle. And, you know, you get taken along to the game at a very young age. Uh, I think I had, I think my uncles actually bought me a Newcastle top within the first week of being born. My mum's a Leeds fan, though, so she wasn't too too pleased at that. <laughs> my dad was, my dad was, though. Uh, and it's, yeah, you know, you're born up here. It's, it's, it's very rare that you don't support Newcastle, I think, when you are born that close to the city and your family, you know, influence you. And it's, you know, I, I wouldn't support any other club. And I'm just fortunate that my job means I get paid to come as well. What's your earliest What's your memory of going to a Newcastle, Newcastle game? That's, uh, do you know, my first game was an FA Cup replay in, I think it was either, I think it was 90, 98 and it was a, it was horrendous. It was not a good game. I'm sure it was Blackburn, but I might I might be wrong. I can just remember it being a replay of some sort. Um, but the first proper like memory I have is coming back from the, the, the bus coming back from the second FA Cup final and going to the Civic Centre, and it was just landed fan. My dad had to throw us into a tree. See, and we're still so far back from. Uh, the civic sense and i'm sure someone will correct us if i'm you know if i'm wrong with the date here but i just remember that that and the crowds for newcastle who had just lost another final and hadn't won something in well since 1969 it was just absolutely amazing to see and we're still like this now what you know 20 odd years later you know newcastle get to a final and they lose the streets will still be filled with fans wanting to applaud the heroes. We saw it yesterday at the end of the Man City game, the flags going and the fans cheering. After what was a pretty dismal game, Joe Linton aside, I thought pretty much everyone had it, had it had a below standard game and yet the fans are still there and will be forever there. New, Newcastle had Newcastle an open had top bus parade for um, cleaning the windows at St James's Park, didn't they? And getting rid of the Sports <laughs> Direct signs. So I, I, I yeah. can see where you're coming from there. <laughs> but fans expect too much, remember? Expect too much. Absolutely. And that was you guys that covered it, wasn't it? The Chronicle. It was me. Yeah. So I, I'd gone for my dinner break and I just saw this cherry picker there and I knew, I, I knew, I knew exactly straight away what it was. <laughs> so I said, I just hold my panini a second now, I'll be back. <laughs> went up and, um, and just, I, I just knew what the reaction would be because it's just the little things, you know, because I'd, a few years Prior to that, I'd gone in and interviewed the stadium manager. Uh, he was a he was a lovely bloke, and he was one of the questions from fans was, "Can we ask about the windows?" You know, and he was explaining that the cost of getting a cherry picker up there and what have you. It's not just a case of you can order one. You know, these are really expensive tools and what what have you. So, and I know certain fans weren't happy with the response to that. So when I saw that cherry picker go up, I you know. I knew exactly that what the reaction would be, and that fans would be over the moon just to see the windows getting cleaned. And if you look at it now, the difference is it is it's massive. The stadium just looks that little bit clean, and there's a lot of work to do. But to just be celebrating the windows getting cleaned is is ridiculous. And then the sports direct signs coming down meant a little more because it was kind of the final chapter, the final word in the Mike Ashley era you know and it closes that chapter now 
for good because the sports direct signs are down and we can now look forward to the uh, hopefully new new sponsorship up there if something does go up but more importantly getting the the money's worth out of it and making sure that the club do properly benefit from whatever sponsor may or may not go up there those those sports direct signs were just so tacky it, were, it was the colors as well as well as what it symbolized with mike ashley and his whole regime but it it just made it look so cheap and so tacky. And I remember seeing uh, when Ed Sheeran did a gig there. It must have been about four years ago now. And when the Rugby World Cup was on there, there was some the sporting event and they had to cover the Sports Direct signs for advertising reasons. And the stadium looked absolutely phenomenal. So I can see from the photos yesterday already, it's just made such a big difference. It looks like a proper stadium again, doesn't it? St. James's Park was one, was one of the best stadiums in the country. Um, I'm sure it will be like that again in time. But yeah, it's such a big deal getting those those horrible signs down. Yeah, 100%. And like, like you say, it's, it's just the little things to fans not uh, who don't support Newcastle. The last six weeks of what Newcastle fans have, have celebrated, you know, winning against Burnley, the signs coming down, the window is being cleaned. It'll just seem utterly bizarre, but... It's it's about fourteen years under Mike Ashley. It's about fourteen years of the windows not being cleaned that often, or you know what these these signs represented, or you know just give the stadium a, a bit of a clean, a lick of paint here or there, and it's it's just the little things, and you get the sense that these owners, well, I know that they they are very proud of what they've got here. They appreciate the fans, but they know that St James's Park. Is this absolute gem? It sits on the hill, looking over the city. It's it's unique, but you've got to make sure it's looked after, and it's 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 not been looked after properly, in my opinion. Over the last fourteen years, the bare minimum has been done. So to see, like I said, the little things being done, it, it's brilliant, and I'm just excited to see what happens in the future when it comes to the big things at St James's Park. Do you know if the Gallagher Pigeon's still there, or is it gone? <laughs> Someone asked me this the other day. I'm not sure. I was uh, I was I was talking to someone about it because again I was asked you know why are people celebrating the windows getting clean and all this and I said well you know there was a pigeon there for X amount of years and they couldn't believe it you know this sums it up you know just the little things that weren't getting done but should be getting done that would be getting done in most other clubs you know mm. are now being done and it's 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 great to see. I was going to say that I thought the next thing would be the twenty inch concourse TVs. You know, like the the little TVs on the concourse, you know, that we had. I thought that would go a little bit bigger than that now, but uh, we'll see when that happens. It was all just so symbolic of such, such just neglect, wasn't it? It was just such just didn't neglect. Care. Yeah, just didn't care. Didn't care. Absolute for for him for the for Ashley and everyone. Newcastle was just another another business, a side hustle. He could not care two hoots about St James's Park or the maintenance of anything. We and were. Yeah, it showed, and we were just the collateral damage, just accepting everything, unfortunately. So just moving back a bit, Andrew, what got you into journalism in the first place? What made you think you wanted this as a career? And what roles have you had covering Newcastle up to now? Just reading reading the Chronicle as a youngster. Like, you know, my granddad always used to get it. I always remember the pink coming through the door as well and always just sitting there reading it. So from very young age, I always wanted to be a journalist. I wrote to the editor at the time and... Asked how to get into it. I must have been about eight or nine. He very kindly sent a letter back. I remember reading, you know, John Gibson's work and 
you know, he was a big inspiration. So to now have a podcast with him and mm. to be working closely with him as I have done over the last few years has been marvellous because he's still so well respected and, and, and quite quite rightly hits the, the nail on the head more often than not with uh, his written word and now he's, he's spoken word on our podcast. But this is this is the first role I've had joining the Chronicle when I did back in 2000 and December 2016. That was the first role I had as is is a sport sports writer and and as a covering Newcastle and I've been um, at the Chronicle ever since and moved up in various ways and had different various titles. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean before that I was a news reporter. Um, and then the opportunity came up to come home and, and switch desks and I took it and haven't looked back since. And what's uh, in your time covering Newcastle in that five-year period? It probably feels like the takeover's been rumbling on for most of that time. But what's the most interesting kind of story that you've covered in your time uh, as reporting on Newcastle? I mean, I've done a lot within the community. I think that's really important because I think that gets missed when we look at not just Newcastle, but football. We look at the money and the players and the managers and the results. We don't look at how important a club can be to a community. So for me, that's where I've kind of set myself and making sure that these stories, you know, are heard and and are written about. So the likes of doing the documentary on the Dementia Cafe that the club have been running for for a few years now, absolutely brilliant to, to go. And I didn't know really what to expect. You know, I've had personal experience in my family of people who've, had dementia, so I know just what a horrendous thing it is to deal with, both from the person who's unfortunately got it, the family and what have you. So I was I was intrigued to see what the club are doing because you know it's not we it hadn't really been shouted about before and to go in and, and, and meet people who are benefiting it from it and meeting people who are running it and seeing the difference it's making to to Newcastle United fans, but also just people in the community who maybe don't have that much interest in football, but you know, they've been invited along and they come along and you know the difference from when they walk through that door to when they leave was uh, you know, you could see it. It was it was unbelievable. And to be able to get those stories out to the community, you know, if one person went along after reading that story or listening to the podcast and I, I did my job because it was it was wonderful seeing, you know, the 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 community side of the club is is flourishing and in under under mike ashley it was there as well some great people mm. people are still there the foundation's brilliant you have uh lucy oliver who's kind of the head of inclusion she kind of runs up a lot of the stuff and she's she's really good and they just look at helping the community and i know that's not maybe what your listeners of viewers were maybe expecting they maybe wanted some me to say something about transfers or takeovers but for me it's just being able to tell the stories about the food bank and you know yeah it's important yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, the you know the mental health campaigns they've got on that's the next one I'm going to be looking at to you know to push the found the, the awareness on that and yeah it's just be being able to show that Newcastle United's more than just more than just what happens on the pitch or in the boardroom it's it's a community and there's a yeah. massive difference it makes off the pitch. We've talked in this podcast before about how Newcastle is a one club city. And so it really, the fortunes of the football club really impacts kind of the mood of the city and what's going on. And like you were talk, saying before about when you got into supporting Newcastle, everybody, it feels like everybody supports Newcastle. Uh, sort of like old people, young people, you know, even though we've had just had 15 years of 
not we haven't had won a trophy since 1969, but we've had 15 years of really not doing anything at all and not having much hope. So yeah, that we talk about how the club is part of the city, and that's really important that you you've raised that. So thanks for talking about that, there, Andrew. So Andrew, who would you say is the strangest or most interesting, funniest character you've come across in your time covering Newcastle? It's been a, there's been a few. I mean, interesting. Rafa Benitez is such an interesting character. You know, the way he speaks to the media, the the way he he speaks uh, to, to the fans via you know via the media. He, you know, he knows exactly what kind of game he's playing, how he gets his message across. And it was an interesting contrast between the way he aired his frustrations, and maybe Steve Bruce didn't. And in many ways, that probably cost Steve Bruce a lot of points within the fan base. You know. It would have been certainly interesting to see how Steve Bruce fared had he come out and said, I, you know, I asked for this player, I asked for that player, I didn't get it. And I'm not happy about it because that's exactly what Rafa Benitez did. And it seemed to work quite well for him. The fans always could then go and turn it and say, well, Mike Ashley's not back in the manager. Where Steve Bruce didn't do that and he looked a bit like a yes man in many ways. So it would have been interesting to see what would happen. But yeah, Benitez made such an interesting interesting character and um, interesting to see him, you know, against Newcastle in a few weeks' time. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've actually picked up a few results, haven't they? They beat Arsenal and they got a draw at Chelsea, so before that, it was looking like we might actually have a decent chance, but they've had a lot of players injured as well, so but I remember going to a talking that Rafa did at uh, for the Times um, in Newcastle. It was February 2018 and it was absolutely just mind-blowing the way he talked about football he's just an absolute obsessive with it isn't he I remember um, uh, my now ex-colleague Mark Douglas uh, who's just joined the eye there um, he's left the, the chronic after nearly 15 years he uh, always tells a story about Benitez sitting him down at his desk at Benitez's desk and, and taking out the bottles of water and explaining tactics like bottles of water and stuff on the desk and you just think it's you know Benitez is so you know precise in everything he does and you know he just took whatever he could bottles of water pen stationery this is this is the formation this is why and he's you know he had a dossier on um I think nearly every journalist as well is is is, is the whisper so like he knew who you were and he knew you know and he, he, he could play kind of little mind games as well which was quite funny you know He'd say things and he'd go, oh, but he knew, he always knew exactly what he was doing. But yeah, f- fascinating character. Do you think with Steve Bruce, he, because he didn't get Chowdhury when he wanted Chowdhury on loan in the transfer window in the summer, he didn't openly come out and say he was unhappy, but it seemed to be widely kind of acknowledged that he really was. And then the club did that weird statement thing where they were kind of slapping him down. Is that is that what kind of happened, what your understanding is about that time, Andrew? You, you, I think you could you could see he was getting more and more frustrated with every passing week and every time he would face the media, and you could you could see the frustrations were rising because I think he felt he'd done what was asked and maybe he'd had conversations where he was promised this and that and didn't get them. But again, it comes down to what well you've got to understand your your fan base and you know, the fans. Most of the fans will react to you coming out and saying look this is what I wanted, this is what I wanted to do, and it didn't happen. And I think that, like I say, that maybe was a bit of his downfall in the end, that 
he kind of he tried a different approach and and look it worked to a certain extent because who would have thought we would have signed Callum Wilson and and, and other kind of players like that and maybe shouting from the rooftops with discontent isn't the best way to go about it but I feel at that point he had nowhere really else to turn and he had nothing nothing to lose in many ways but yeah he was a bit frustrated at that but I just I think not even just in the start my understanding I think you could just see every press conference he was getting more and more irate because. I think he felt he was being hung out to dry, and he and he was in many ways. You know that transfer window was 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 nothing short of a disgrace for a manager who had done everything the owner had asked of him. And and regardless of what you think of Steve Bruce, he'd been given a set task, and like it wasn't pretty on the eye from from a fan's perspective. We we didn't enjoy listening to him talk down Newcastle in many ways and talk up the opposition constantly week after week, but. You know, the bottom line is he was set a task, he achieved it, and then he wasn't he wasn't awarded what he probably should have been by the then owner Mike Ashley. Well, he was the only real public spokesperson, though. That's the whole, the whole problem with when he jumped on board. There's no one else who came out. I mean, I'm not sure if Charlie did the interview with the Chronicle or he did with a couple others. He's saying we're going to be more open. I think it was before the nineteen twenty, maybe before the COVID season, um, when he said. You'll hear a lot more from me this season, and then that was it. Um, <laughs> until basically, that was it. Uh, that was the last was, thing he ever came out. It was think, yeah. until he or Ashley put out that statement after the transfer window, saying saying what they did. It was ironic, and obviously, none of none of us from a fan's perspective, obviously, obviously liked Steve Bruce, but he was the only one who was talking, so he could he have to have answer the whole questions from club top to bottom he was the only one there to, to speak so that he was definitely hung out to drive from, from and it was the same it was the same when Pardew was here all that, that time ago he it was exactly the same situation and yeah. i think and that's yeah, that's well, the way well, that's so. the way it's been isn't that andrew with newcastle managers that's just kind of the role that they've, they've had to do and like you were saying about benitez he understood he was already popular because of his cv and because of his, his dedication i think and his work ethic but he seemed to kind of understand the things to say that would get the fans on board. Yeah, definitely. And what other club, probably club, would be, would have been set up in that way? And that's why the new owners have come in, and the communication has been fantastic. You know, just little bits of communication, and you know, for instance, like the fan who unfortunately collapsed against Spurs, then get a statement out the week after to say, you know, he's on the men. Brilliant stuff. You know, that what everyone wanted to hear. You know, just little things like. Yesterday, I saw there was a post in our, our box office phone lines are down. You know, we're working our best to try and get them. And it's just little tiny things like that. You go, you know, that makes a difference. Because fans feel like, you know, that the fans ringing up are like, oh, actually, that's what's happening. Whereas before, you'd be like just banging the wall in frustration because you can't get through. But actually, you read that post, you say, okay, yeah, they're having issues. And it, it sounds daft again to any non Newcastle fans watching or listening to this, like, yay post about the phone lines like, <laughs> it, it's 14 years of just the basic communication not happening from from the club from top to bottom and it does make a, a, a big difference and he did feel sorry for Steve Bruce in many ways because he like you see he was the only public uh, figure there to answer questions and he got the grief for pretty much everything and a lot of it wasn't his fault but no one came out to help him no one came out to back him up and so he had to deal with it and probably answer questions on a lot that he didn't actually understand or wasn't party to, which isn't, which, which isn't helpful because then he can say something which can rile somebody up, rile the fans up when he's probably, or but often he was talking 
without the authority or without the knowledge and he was probably just like you know just like a fan in many ways scratching his head and, and going well I've got to answer that I don't know what I'm going to say but then having to answer it because he's the only person there to answer it it was mm. it was it was a farce in many ways and the new owners understand that the communication just has to be better and they've started really well and fingers crossed going forward when they get a director of football sorted and what have you, which is really important. It'll just continue to get better and better and better. And it does make a massive difference when the fans and the media, you know, have that kind of dialogue. And I'm not talking about cuddling up to the club because nobody wants that from a media media point of view. You know, you've got to be a critical friend. But at the same time, you want a club who are willing to answer the tough questions and also willing to, to answer just pretty much, you know, the questions that fans want to want the answers to. Mm. Yeah. You've talked a little bit there about the new owners. How do you think they've done so far? Because you've talked there about the communication, but in general, they've been here for two and a half months or so now. How do you think they've they've uh, coped so far? They seem to be caught on the fly as much as anybody else when it actually happened. So what's your assessment up to now of the job they've done? Yeah, it's been interesting, hasn't it? I think they've, they've, they've started all right. Look, they made a few mistakes when it came to the managerial search, but I think it was really important that Manus Dave came out and said, you know, she said something along the lines of we will make mistakes, but we learn from them. And, and that's really important to A, to admit that you will make mistakes because everyone will, but be to front up to them, whereas the last ownership would have just, well, you wouldn't even have had that interview, would you? So really important that they're willing to speak willing to admit their own faults and to, to learn and build from that because that's, that's so important in any way of life but also at a football club where there's so much attention on it. And again, it just goes back to that they've done the little things. They've done the little things that will win favour and the real test comes in January because they haven't got their own, the director of football yet. Uh, they Obviously, they've, they've, they've employed someone as a kind of a transfer advisor, the, 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 the former Celtic chap. But January is such an important month, so they've got to get January right. I feel like they've got the they've got the managerial appointment right in Eddie Howe. That's a really good appointment. I'm very happy with him, and we we are seeing little bits of progress. It's, it was never going to be something that happens overnight because the defence, regardless if it was Steve Bruce, regardless if it was Rafa Benitez, Eddie Howe, the defence was always going to be the issue because the players are older now. The last centre-back was Fabian Chair, who arrived in, what was it, 2018. We've still got Kieran Clark, Jamal Sells, who've been there a very long time, Matt Ritchie, who's not a left-back, etc. You know, and we're now seeing 14 years of underinvestment starting to hit home, and Eddie Howe would have been aware of that, the new owners would have been aware of that. But that's where, that's where they now have to really show what they're made of, and come February the 1st, fingers crossed, they've shown exactly why they bought this club. And they've shown exactly the spending power that we all hope they do have. We'll talk a little bit more about the Man City game in a bit, but to start a Premier League game in 2021 with the two centre-backs who got us, who were in the team when we got promoted back under Rafa Benitez and then two two wingers playing at full-back, it's, uh, it kind of shows you the task that, that he's up, Eddie Howe's up against, doesn't it? And... I think he has done a really good good job so far. The results have been a bit mixed, but it's like what we were saying before about whether the Newcastle manager is speaking to to the press and to the fans. It's really, really important that they get that right and that they understand what they've got to do, to do in that regard. And I think that he's done. He's got that pretty much spot on so far. 
I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, no, I think how's got everything spot on really so far in terms of off the pitch. I think the way he presents himself, the way he talks about what he can achieve, the way he talks about what the when what the expectations are. You know, he knows he's got a massive fight on his hands. He's not daft. He knows with every pass from Newcastle don't pick up a win. It gets harder and harder, but he believes in his qualities. I think a lot of the fans believe in his qualities. We've seen, you know, there's no doubt that they're backing him right until the end. And if they go down, they'll back him and they'll they'll back him to bring them to bring them back up. Obviously, nobody wants to see Newcastle go down, but we've got to admit it is a very very strong possibility. Uh, and how he's got got a lot to balance and handle, but it, I think it's really refreshing that we've not seen him throw anybody under the bus because it would have been easy for him to throw certain players under the bus. Kieran Clark, for example, mm. Jamal Salzer had the best of times, but Joe Willick, you know, goodness me, he's you know very happy he's signed for Newcastle. But I think it's time to take him out of the side. You mentioned that statement there earlier that the one in the summer. I mean that was. That was an utterly bizarre statement because of the pressure that suddenly put on Joe Willick as a young lad, moving up from home for the first time permanently from London, new club, new city, without your friends and family, and then suddenly a statement's thrown at your feet, and you're just thinking, goodness yeah. me. And it's you know, I'm not saying that's the reason that he's not performing. I don't think it would have helped. But again, like the point was there, you know, he's not being thrown under the bus by by Eddie Howe, which is really refreshing to see that Eddie Howe's at least in public, he's he's talking up every player, he's talking up Newcastle United and what they can achieve. Don't worry about the opposition. This is what Newcastle can do. And how refreshing and I know we'll talk about Man City in a minute, but how refreshing was it to see him bring Alice at Maximum at half time yesterday despite being two 0 down? And say, like, Wow, just the difference is it didn't work, <laughs> obviously, mm. but uh it was refreshing to see, and I think on and off the pitch, he's handling himself, you know, very well. Of course, you're always going to have debates and arguments about team selections and what have you. But then he's the manager; he's seeing a heck of a lot more of the players uh, than 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 fans are. He's in working with them week in week, day in day out on the training pitch. So, you know, it's 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 also really good to see the majority of fans backing him and just supporting him because the fans are going to play in a huge, huge, huge role if Newcastle are to, to get to safety. And we've talked on this podcast before as well about how he's really got not much wiggle room for making mistakes with his uh, team selection because we need to start winning games pretty urgently. I think games against Man City and Liverpool are kind of free hits, anything you get as a bonus. But picking Kieran Clark against Norwich turned out to be a bit of a mistake and then not starting Dubravka when he first... when. Darlow played the game against Brentford as well, but like he hasn't had the preseason, he hasn't had the time training with them. Then he had COVID as well, which himself, which wouldn't have helped matters. Uh, so it is a limited scope for making mistakes with the, the teams, the team selection. But I don't know if have you got any insight into what's going on with Federico Fernandez because I know he's injured now, but he's the one that I think is uh, people have been saying, why is he not playing? You know, he's got thirty something caps for Argentina. He's clearly our best defender. There's kind of talk that there was something going on with Graham Jones and there's some off-field things going on there with him. Have you got any kind of um, insight into that, Andrew, that you can share? I'm at a loss, just like everybody else, really. I mean, he's clearly, at least technically, the best defender I think Newcastle might have got. But we've also got to accept that he is getting older. He is, you know, another year older than he was last season. And that will affect your, your legs. You know, that will affect the pace. And it's at some point... 
it, it doesn't matter how good you are technically if you haven't got the pace especially in the Premier League you're going to get punished and I think when you look at Newcastle's defence it is lacking pace so can you really play Fernandes who who hasn't got that speed as much anymore in a back four or back five where everyone else is lacking pace because you, you just essentially inviting inviting the opposition to run at you and when you are lacking pace you're going to get punished because the cells doesn't have it Fabian Cher doesn't have it Kevin Clark doesn't have it and Fernandez doesn't have it so w- what do you do I think you've got to at least play one of your let's say paciest and I say that rather reluctantly because <laughs> I say cells doesn't have much of it but he is the fastest one out of the lot of them so you've got to play him despite what we all think or what some people might think of him as a, as a, as a defender and then it's like, well, then what do you do? Who do you partner the cells with? If he has a better understanding with Cher, if he has a better understanding with Kieran Clark, you then got to do what's right for the team. And yes, you know, like I say, Fernandes is the best defender, but I don't think it's as simple as that because just because he's the best defender, it's it's not necessarily what's best for the team. If you get my, get my drift, simply because all the pieces don't necessarily fit. And I know that might sound a bit daft to, to the listeners, but... I think that you've got to take it into consideration that it's, it's what's right for the team as a unit, not what's right, you know, looking at it on an individual basis. So just on the sales before we get move on, we had an interesting discussion on our chat today about in January, obviously, we're hoping for a couple of uh, recruits to come in at centre-back. And a couple of lads sort of were saying, well, we can't drop LaSalle's because he's captain. Where I was of the opinion that, well, too bad. Like, we need we need to win. We need to get points. So what's your take on that? Would he be his character, if you knew, if you know him at all, or know some history on him? Would he sort of be the type to sort of moan and cause a dressing room split? Or would he get on with the job knowing that, okay, well, I'm not first choice, but we need this for the betterment of the club? I think he would do what's right for the club if he was indeed dropped. I think um, we've seen before where he's, when he first got into the side, and I think he got sent off, didn't he? And he just said, no one cares. Mm-hmm. I think that shows the kind of player, the kind of captain he is. Look, he's got his faults as a defender, as a, as a footballer. And I think in time, probably come the summer, if, if January and the summer go, go to plan, Newcastle survive, there's a good chance the sales might not be in the, the team or maybe even the squad come come the new season but he isn't Castle United's captain and I think whether he's playing or not he will lead and he will do what's right for the club and the fans he's been here a long time now he's he's settled here he knows what it means he, and, and that's really important you know he knows how important this club is to the community and to the fans and he makes mistakes you know, everyone makes mistakes and yes it's a bit more costly when you're a Premier League football than trying to lead the club to safety and yeah, he has to improve. And I, I, I think in many ways he's been, he's not been helped by the players around him because I, I always look at like how Stephen Taylor's career went. You know, the potential Stephen Taylor had was, was unbelievable, but he never really got the chance to play against a, a very good, uh, to play alongside, sorry, a very okay. good centre-back. Mm. And I think that, you need to be playing alongside better players. So what's to say if they do go out and sign a 15, 20, 25 million pound centre-back and play him alongside LaSalle to the end of the season because I'm not entirely sure Eddie Howe will drop his captain straight off the bat. But what's to say that, you know, they go and spend that money on a, on a central defender and LaSalle doesn't doesn't go up a gear because I'm, I'm a big believer that you bring in better players, more competition, 
that takes the team up a level and you know that can only happen if the individuals go up a level as well and that obviously makes the team better in return i remember i remember when um titus bramble played alongside jonathan woodgate and all of a sudden he looked like frago barese <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it is that isn't it like if you play alongside really good players you you you're going to if you've got the mindset which i think the cells has you'll you will then push in and and you'll have that drive and you'll push yourself to try and get to the level you're never going to probably get to the level of these really good players but at least you're trying and, and you yourself will go up another level and you know let, let's hope that Newcastle United's captain suddenly becomes a much better player when he's playing mm. with better players because wouldn't that be great to see that mm. actually Eddie Howe doesn't need to change his captain Lascelles has stepped up to the play and, and not only is, is he leading better he's, he's playing better and there's a notable difference I mean that would be brilliant Let's just talk about January's transfer window then, because what what you just said there is absolutely right. We can't go, well, we might have a lot of money, but we just can't go out and sign even half a new team. It doesn't work like that, and it doesn't work like that, especially in January. So the transfer window opens in a couple of weeks. Do you think, Andrew, do you get the sense that Newcastle are prepared for this? Because we do, still don't have a director of football in place, although we saw that today Dan Ashworth has, has apparently been approached, the athletic we're reporting. So do you think Newcastle are set up and ready to attack this transfer window and get the players they need in? And do you think, do you think there's anything in this idea that Premier League clubs aren't going to sell Newcastle players because of the takeover? What's, what's your take on that? You would hope they're ready because they need to hit the ground running. I think everyone can see where they need to invest. You know, they, they need a, a new defender, new centre back. They need a new left back, probably a new right back. They need someone to take the burden off Callum Wilson, and then you need a kind of a, an enforcer in the in the midfield. Even though they have got Joe Linton now, who is performing out of his out of his skin. Hey, look, Eddie Howe is very precise in everything he does. He's very meticulous. You know, there's not a chance he's getting to January the first, and he's not gone with a list of players, a list of positions, and you do get the sense that these owners are going to be uh, proactive rather than reactive. You know, I'm I'm very much of the belief that they will be ready to to, to hit the ground running because they can't afford not to. Like they cannot afford to be waiting to the end end of the month and having not brought in you know, more than one or two players because the squad is so below the standard it needs to be to, to survive. The defence is just absolutely shocking. And I think you, we all have to hope that, yeah, they, they are ready. And I, I believe they will be. I know they haven't got a director of football in, but they've got the, the transfer advisor in and, you know, they've been at pretty much every game. So they'll be looking then, you know, they've been watching the games. They, they, they might not have too much football experience, but they can see, <laughs> like, where the issues are. And they trust Eddie Howe. I mean, Eddie Howe came in, he wanted a fitness room. Bang, he got a fitness room in the dressing room, didn't he, in St James's Park. So if that's anything to go by, you know, they're listening to the manager. They're saying, OK, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it because that would have been cheap to do. There's, there's the investment in that. So let's hope that also is the same for when it comes to the transfer window. Eddie Howe knocks on the door and says, this is what I want. This is who I would like. Um, we know Steve Nixon's heavily involved. Be working with Eddie Howe as well to, to get targets. And, you know, the new owners just go, yeah, because otherwise it's going to be, well, otherwise they're getting relegated on this, essentially. If, they, if, they, if January does not go well, Newcastle will unfortunately play in Championship football next season, in my opinion. I think they're doing, the, I think you can, I get confidence that the owners know what they're doing with the process they're taking with this technical director. Dan Ashwood is quality, you know, top of the tree quality. And I think to have him come and 
and have him as a forefront or whatever they're doing with him. I don't know how far down the line he is, but it just goes to show you get these little snippets that they're sort of getting back on track. I think that they stuffed up with Unai Emery in the process of what they did, Mm -hmm. but it was the right way about looking at it. Like, I think we heard a lot of people saying, oh, how do you come up with Unai Emery and Eddie Howe? They're so different, but they knew what they were doing. I think, you know, I've got faith that the owners, they're on the right track, I think. Okay, so that's it for part one. And we'll be back after this to talk about Manchester City because we have to do that. Welcome back to part two of the Tune Under Pod. We're here with Bobby, Dimitri and special guest Andrew Musgrove from Reach PLC, the Chronicle social media editor for Newcastle United. So, Newcastle lost 4-0 to Manchester City this morning, Australia time. It wasn't good. It rarely is good when we play Manchester City. We have lost the last three games 11-1 cumulatively, uh, which is about standard when we're playing teams that are that much better than us. Do we think that 11 goals shipped in these three defeats, do we think this is a true reflection of where Newcastle are at the moment? Or do we think we have signs, positive signs to work on from these games? So I'll ask that to each of you and then we'll get into the Man City game specifically. So Andrew, over to you first. Oh, yeah, I think it is a true reflection of just how bad the defence is. Like We've seen, we've definitely seen progress going forward. They look much more effective going forward. I know they haven't scored too many goals, but there was a there was a notable difference for me in the way that they're, they're trying to attack anyway. But yeah, look, they're they're so poor defensively, and the more frustrating thing is is that it's individual mistakes consistently. Everyone accepts they haven't got the personnel to 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 be a strong Premier League defense. That's why January is going to be so key. So Eddie Howe's trying to manage that. He's trying to make them better as a unit. That's what he's known for, his coaching. But he's not been helped by the fact that over the last few games, we've seen so many mistakes lead to the opposition scoring. The likes of Leicester and Liverpool and Man City, they don't need any help. They will, they'll, they'll eventually open you up if you're not good enough. But to gift teams like that goals, is just it's so frustrating because that's one thing anyhow, can't, you can't do anything about that. You know, if he sets up wrong, the formation's wrong, then he'll take the criticism because he's picked mm. that side. He's picked the personnel, he's picked the formation. He's got it wrong. But the individual mistakes being made, they're down to the players and only they can cut the game, cut that out of their game because God, it's just so frustrating. I mean, yesterday against Man City, what, four goals, all four, in my opinion, were preventable. First one, oh my goodness. Uh, I watched it. I watched it back and I was like, that was just so amateurish. It's what you want to see at 2am in the morning staying up, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just like it's just like amateur hour at the back. Dubravka and Clark, and it was just... And Dubravka was previously quite reliable for us. So I think it, it, is, where, it is where we are with the defence. But I think, and I think, Bobby, you'll probably agree with this, that there have been some kind of signs that Eddie Howe is trying to implement something. Um, yeah, he obviously he obviously needs better players, but I know especially against Leicester, we we were pretty, it was a pretty even until they got that penalty. I think there are a few signs for things to be sort of excited about or a bit more positive about, but it's still really depressing getting hammered every week. 
Bobby? Yeah, I think it's, it's as Andrew said, it's, I think the mistakes and the goals we're shipping is through comical errors that you don't expect to see with defenders in the Premier League, but they're just not at the level. The defenders just are all lost at sea and you, you sort of, it's more frustrating because you can see there's a process and a plan Eddie's trying to implement. And I think he's trying to do it knowing he doesn't have the cattle, the right players, but he's saying, well, there's four or five or six that will be part of this new, the second half of the season. So he's got to just teach them the way of the way he wants to play. And then in January, the weeks areas that we're at, try to replenish that to get players that can play that system a bit better, which I think it's the right way of going about it. But it just leads to the players that are a little bit less in quality, not being able to to be there. And it's just so frustrating to see because you take out the mistakes, you take out VAR and the refereeing stuff that's happening at the moment, which is an added frustration. And I'm starting to turn into one of these crazy people you know, on, on Twitter going, there is a conspiracy against us because it's just nuts. But I think, yeah, going back to your question, look, I can see what Eddie's trying to do. I'm really positive about the way, the, the improvement he's made in such a short time in a lot of players. I told you in the first podcast, I'm a massive Joel Linton fan and people laughed at me in that, but you're starting to see what we saw in Germany of him and his strengths. And this is what we'll get with Eddie Howe and a good coach that, every player will get some improvement. And it's why I'm still confident that we're only three points away from from escaping this. And whilst the other teams around us keep stuffing up, there's every chance. Dimmy, what's your take on it, the last three games and those results? Yeah, it's it, it's been frustrating, like Andrew said. I mean, when you're playing Leicester, who's probably a top six contender, or this year they've struggled a little bit, but playing in the Europa League, Man City and Liverpool, who are championship contenders, you don't need to gift them goals week in, week out. And the frustrating part is for, for some of these games, especially maybe for Liverpool, maybe for half an hour, for Leicester for half an hour, we looked half decent. We looked like we had some sort of plan of how we were going to attack and try to win the game, not just to sit back and pray they miss they miss five one-on-ones like we did against Spurs a couple of years ago when we nicked a point in the last minute um, <laughs> when they had about 20 shots to our one. But... But at least there is a plan. And Eddie, he seems obviously to know what he wants to do, but he's got one hand tied behind his back at the moment with the plays he can pick. He, he's, he can only pick what he can pick until 1st of January. And he's just hoping, and obviously we're all just hoping that he can just scrounge any points that we can up until then to stay somewhat in touch to try and get players who can implement what he wants to do. It feels sometimes like he's got two hands tied behind his back. Andrew, I'm going to come to you. What is going on with VAR and the referees? I don't know. What can you say about it? It's just <laughs> absolutely baffling. And I know uh, Bobby there mentioned the, the, the theories on Twitter about it being against Newcastle, but we saw yesterday, we've seen over the whole weekend, like it is across the league where it's just not working. And Alan Shearer said on Match of the Day that it's not, VAR's not actually the issue, it's the people who are running it. Yeah. And he's wanted yeah. to present Spawn because the uh, the technology is there to make sure they get these decisions right. It's the people who are using it who are just messing up week after week. I mean, Madison against Leicester, he, he buys that penalty. So I'm just wondering, like, if that's a penalty, the Ryan Fraser one is is, is <laughs> yeah. about, worth about 10 penalties. You know, it was ridiculous. Because, and what was the argument? The argument was that Cancelo had already got the ball, and it's like, come on, Fraser, Fraser was get could have got there 
you know, and the keeper totally wipes them out. And at the end of the day, yesterday, the, the VAR decision, it was at the very least, go to the pitch side monitor and have a look at it. We all know it was a stonewall penalty, you know, but, you know, okay, maybe the referee in real time didn't think it was. But why the, the video referee hasn't gone, go and have a look at that. Because you, it, it's very rare that you get the Sky commentators, both of them, the co-commentator and the commentator, all the pundits agreeing that it was a penalty. Like, I've never seen that before where everyone is in agreement. Like, the, the, the Sky commentators were nearly as, nearly as angry as Newcastle United fans about this one. It's just unbelievable. And then you watch that Liverpool game. How is Harry Kane not being sent off for that? Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And you know what? Andy Robinson, actually, I do think it was probably a red card. But yeah. then... <laughs> but then you are right to ask, well, how has Kane stayed on the pitch? And there's no consistency, and it shouldn't be happening when you have the technology there to make sure that these decisions are getting right. Because th- these are so such valuable points that Newcastle have missed out on. And it could yeah. be the, the difference between surviving and going down. And someone somewhere is, is just looking at the wrong screen or deciding or is walking up angry and gone. I don't fancy giving that one today. <laughs> uh, it's just we, we saw last week two, two, two. Uh, there were two easy penalties given. This week they've just gone the other way, disappointingly, and and that's what's frustrating. Frustrating. There shouldn't be any influence on what happened the week before. Yeah. It, it should just be this is. It's a penalty, regardless, you know, of what happened last week. We shouldn't. They shouldn't. If they are trying to even up the scores, that's even even more baffling. Yeah. If, if the, John Joe Shelby does that in the middle of the pitch against any player, not only off. does he get a, a free, he gets a red card. Like I just, I thought I was in a twilight zone when I saw that and think, how did he not get a penalty? Like I, it just, I, I do question though because a lot of people have said that that happens in the middle of the pitch. I do question why any player would be sliding in on their belly to win a ball in the middle of the pitch though, because if that's happening in the middle of the pitch, scrap the red card, the yellow card, just yeah. get them off because something's gone. Wrong there. Well, you haven't yeah. seen John Joe Shelby try to slide tackle before. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the the logic that you just said there, Andrew, about the Fraser one, like, players could just go and start kicking each other, but just That's because said, somebody, yeah. somebody else is in control of the ball, you know? I, I suggested for Clark, when um, when City, when we had the ball, Clark just go up to Jesus or De Bruyne and just take him out. Just two-foot him. He hasn't got the ball. It doesn't affect the play. Yeah. Why? Why is it anything? It, it's stupidity, really. I mean, and they'll always try to they'll always try to back behind a technicality or according to law two point three point one, yeah. they follow the right law. But I mean, football. There was not a, like that. there was a time last season. I think it was when all those handballs were getting given, and there was a lot of controversy going on. That they just changed the rule from week to week. So they just changed. They just changed it and said, "Oh, that's not a penalty anymore." It was like. What? You can't just do that. Like half like quarter of the way into the season or something. Yeah, poor Eric Dyer against us. That's it. Andy yeah. Carroll, yeah. yeah. Andy Carroll got the penalty. Next week. No, nah, not a handball. You know, it's just it's crazy. But like the VAR, I agree with um you, Andrew, and, and Alan Shearer. Like it's not the technology's right and it can make mistakes go away, but it's just the people operating it have got to understand it better. I mean, but then you've got a situation where against Norwich, we get a handball and um, they take four minutes to review a point blank, easy decision. And we don't get any viewing on what Ryan Fraser went through. It's just, I don't know what to think, to be honest. I'm a bit like, a bit like you, Bobby. I'm just, I just don't believe in these conspiracy theories that the 
Premier League want us relegated and blah, blah, blah. I just don't think that happens. But when something happens like what happened with the big six or winning penal- getting those penalties last weekend, it just, and maybe it's coincidence, but it just makes you think, doesn't it? It's like, what actually is going on? Like, it, what's what's happening, you know? Like, something must be happening somewhere for, for that to happen. Or is that just kind of, Do you think, Andrew, that's just tinfoil hat land or... What do you think? I just think people. I just think the people in in control of VAR are just not doing their job. Probably it. just not very good at it. I mean, we saw yesterday. We saw yesterday that um, Harry Kane should have been sent off against Liverpool. So it kind of puts the theory to bed that the top six are getting biased because you would you would then say, well, Liverpool should be above Spurs in that way, and surely they would get more favour shown at them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I just think the people who have been tasked with making the decisions aren't very good at them because we talk about the law there. There's what law is there possibly mm. there to to say that was not a penalty? That Ryan Fraser <laughs> going down is not a penalty. There's there's, there's zero law. I'm not, I can understand um, you're talking about maybe what happened against Liverpool, the two defenders going down, and there are instances where they can point to the law and say, okay, well this is the law. Fair enough, okay. Mm-hmm. But again, City. I mean, the, the, if, the, if there's a law. That says that was not a penalty. Then throw it my way. I'll, give it, I'll, I'll, do, I'll donate a tenner to the food bank um, because I, I can't understand what possible law there is to say that that was not a penalty. It's just people not doing their jobs properly. I want to just talk about the team a little bit. Then that we played against Man City, we had we had two average wingers playing at fullback, and we had two pretty much championship standard defenders who got us promoted from the championship five years ago, we had them playing at centre-back against Manchester City. So, I think when you concede four goals, it's yeah, it, it could be more potentially, but Newcastle and Manchester City seem to play a completely different sport. I think, and same with Liverpool, it's completely different, isn't it? It's like, I don't think it's football what we're, what we're, what we're doing here. So, but what did you make of that team selection? There was no Saint Maximan. He he came off came off the bench, and we had Hayden in for Shelby. Shelby was injured. What was your what was your take when you saw the team sheet, Andrew? What did you think about how it was going to go, and how did you think it did go with that team? He's just got Eddie Howe's just got very limited options, hasn't he? Because I can't imagine any uh, world you'd want Kieran Clark and Jamal Sells going up against that man City you've got but he's got no he's got no options really if, you know Fabian Shea I'm not a big fan of Fabian Shea I think he's got a big mistake in him I think he's quite he's quite careless on the ball but I'd play him ahead of ahead of Kieran Clark but then you look at there's other than that there was no options at, at centre-back it was interesting to see him go with Richie and Murphy obviously Manquillo had a, a non-Covid related illness but Again, I think it just highlighted the lack of options they've got, especially in defence, because both Richie and Murphy have come in and they've adapted to unfamiliar positions. I know some people say, oh, well, Murphy played wing-back at Sheffield Wednesday, but it's not his proper position, is it? But we've seen over recent weeks, especially, that their defensive frailties haven't really been shown up for everyone to see. And they'll be the first to admit they're not defenders and they've done well. They deserve praise for adapting to the challenge laid down. But goodness me, we need some reinforcements in January in those positions. It was interesting to see St Maxim on the bench, whether, you know, obviously he took a knock, didn't he? And he forced, he wanted to come off against Liverpool and came off and 
whether he was being rested for a little bit. Um, I didn't think it really worked for him. It was it was refreshing to see him come off the bench so early on at half time, but I didn't think it was his kind of game because for me, Man City knew how to handle him. You know, don't get too tight to him because that's when he does you back off a little mm. bit, let him come towards you, and you know they handled him quite well. I thought. I thought Callum Wilson was a bit out of sorts, and again, it's a, it's another case of lack of options because you want you want to rest Callum Wilson maybe in these games and make sure he's all right for the likes of Man United Everton where you've got a better chance. And mm. but there's no options. You don't mm. want to rest them and put someone in who's who's not as good as him because it, it's just it's pointless. You still want to give the opposition a good a good uh, a good test, but he hasn't got a player of his quality to replace him with, and it must be so frustrating. But again, it just goes to what we've been saying earlier in the show. It's just 14 years of mismanagement, which are now really costing Newcastle United. Mm. And um, you, I'm going to ask you this, Timmy. So Andrew talked earlier a bit about Joe Willick. He is he's not been in good form at all the last couple of months. What was your what was your take on his performance, Timmy? And did you think Hayden being alongside him made any kind of difference, or what was your, what do you think? Yeah, I remember talking about Joe a couple of weeks ago. Um, he seems a bit out of sorts, to be honest. I don't think I don't think the role in in the two in the two midfield with Hayden um, or Shelby for that point is is suiting him at all. He seems nervous on the ball. Defensively, he's a bit reckless, like, like we saw yesterday with the Cancelo goal, just losing his feet and com- completely turned around. He, he he looks out of sorts, and he looks like someone who's bereft of confidence. Um, and like Andrew said earlier, I think he's someone who needs a break. Obviously, in, in that sort of game, we're not going to have a lot of the ball. So on the ball, we didn't quite see him as as we normally would, but he, he, def- he definitely has, has been out of sorts lately. And I, I can't remember a, a time in, a, in this season, at least, where he's, he's done one of those runs where he's carried the ball forward and he's, he's dribbled a couple of plays. He's made that late run into the box where he was scoring a lot of his goals last year. He seems to be a lot... A lot less, not cavalier, but a lot less confident in in expressing himself. And um, yeah, I, I, him and Hayden, I don't think is a partnership that'll work. I mean, even even Hayden, I thought struggled. Technically, he's just not he's just not up to the level. And especially when Shelby's not there, we we just really lack anyone to carry the ball out. I mean, the amount of times we're going Clark to Richie to Clark to Lascelles back mm. to Clark, no one no one had the confidence on the ball to to either keep except for Joe Linton. Um, Bobby's boy Joe, who could actually shield it and turn, no one else had that ability. So, like like Andrew said, that that enforcer in the middle, or just that general in the middle of the park, your traditional number eight box to box, we're seriously lacking that presence. Even even a Mo Diarmi style when Diarmi had that great six months, that that sort of that sort of player. Yeah. I think I think midfield is almost as big a problem as a defence. I think we've needed replacement central midfielders for a long time so and when you're playing team against like Man City yeah and Shelby to be fair I've said before I thought I thought he was a lost cause I really did think Shelby was a lost cause but Eddie Howe seems to have kind of got the best out of him or got certainly got improved performances out of him so uh, long may that continue when he's back and fit because I think he's going to be important if we're going to get out of this mess that we're in so I've, I've, I ask this question pretty much every every week, every every week we lose. Uh, where does this leave Newcastle United, other than up the creek 
without a paddle. Andrew, where do you think this leaves us? And do you think that we can we can get out of this mess? Obviously, it depends on January. What's your, what do you think? Leaves Newcastle exactly where they were prior, just in a, in a heck of a lot of mess. But I think my United's a more winnable game. I think Everton's certainly a winnable game. We've just got to make sure that we take advantage of it. You know, there were positives out of the Man City game. A few, a few positives. Um, Joe Linson, again, we'll mention him because he's been absolutely wonderful. And we just have to hope they can take little bits of positives. We have to hope that the mood isn't too too bad in, 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 the, in the camp. Just you know, scrape a few points ahead of January. I mean, there's a few winnable games at the end of January, isn't it? And they're the ones, again, I think what, we've got Watford and what have you. They're the ones we have to really be winning. But you hope that we can pick up a few points before then. They can get the reinforcements in. And something's got to, something, you just have to hope something changes. And, and, and Eddie Howe is starting to work a little bit of his magic. We're seeing a little bit of what he wants to do. And we've just got to hope it clicks sooner rather than later. I like, I like finishing with Bobby because he's the most positive man in the world. Bobby, where do you think this leaves us? What do you see in the next few games? Um, status quo. Like, I, you don't expect anything from the Liverpool Man, you know, uh, Man City games. I thought Liverpool was really positive. I came away from that thinking, you know, Eddie's building on something. And then, I mean, you had to replace our left back and right back with our backups, you know, which leaves us in a worse position. So, look, it is what it is. We're only three points away from safety. I've watched the, I think, Lee on our podcast has mentioned that there's another table, there's another competition going on with the bottom from 12 down. And I watched a few of those games and I honestly think with January and a few reinforcements, there's not much there to worry about. I think we're all expecting leads to come good, but there's I've been watching them lately. There's nothing there. Just in, they're like got championship defenders too. You know, they're, they're in a similar situation. They've got Rafina and a bit, some quality, but so do we, if you know what I mean. So same thing from what I said before, Liverpool, I still see us getting out of this mess. I've got utmost belief in Eddie Howe and his principles and what he's done. And, it just depends on January, though, I think, more than ever. Like, I think if we get it right and we get it right early, we can win those games around early Jan and late Jan and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think we'll be fine. I'm, I'm still pretty confident. It would almost be good for us if the season was cancelled or signed some decent players. <laughs> yeah, I'm praying. Bit of a break would yeah. be good. All right, that's great. That's pretty much all I've got time for. Uh, we'll let Andrew get on with the rest of his day and we'll all go to bed. It's bedtime in Australia. So, Andrew, thanks for your time. That's been brilliant to chat to you. Uh, welcome to come back on any time. So, we'll be back later this week for a preview of the Man United game, assuming it happens, and also a transfer window special. We're going to uh, go in-depth into the transfer window, look at the squad and see what realistically we think we may be able to do in January to help get us out of trouble. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and visit our website, tuneunder.com, and visit our Facebook page, and we're also on Twitter at tuneunderpod. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for your time. Cheers for the invite. Enjoyed it. Cheers, Bobby. Cheers, Dimmy. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Mike.